The following message comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. If you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Have you been hurt recently by someone's words to you? Maybe it was a coworker or a boss who tore into you verbally because of a mistake you made or some kind of grudge they had against you. Maybe it was a spouse who criticized you for not living up to their lofty expectations of you, whether it was the way you squeezed the toothpaste tube or the way you put the toilet paper roll on the roll or all of those really weighty things that are really worth fighting about, right? Or maybe you found out that your friend or supposed friend was spreading false rumors about you to other people. Maybe it was in person, maybe it was on social media, or through text messages or phone calls. Or maybe, instead of spreading false rumors, maybe what they were sharing was actually true. It was true information, but it was not shared to others in a way of being able to pray for you or being able to encourage you, but instead it was done with the intent of damaging you and tearing you down. We've probably all felt the harm that others' words can do to us. But on the flip side, have we dished out that same verbal abuse to others recently? Whether it was a coworker, or whether it was a spouse, or a friend, or someone that we care about, we found ourselves lashing out at someone for our own benefit because it feels good to get it out of our chest, or to tear others down, or some way to tear into someone else. Maybe you feel like at times your tongue, as James says, is out of control. That it's like a spark that ignites and everything is set on fire. Maybe you find yourselves judging and talking down to other people in a sense of pride or uh, achievement or that you've arrived and you wish everyone else could catch up to you. Well, this morning we're going to look at James 4, verses 11 and 12, to understand what James says and the wisdom here about what it looks like when we judge another believer, and specifically when we judge and condemn them with our speech. James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament because his wisdom is just very straightforward. It's it's very much just right there on the dinner plate for us, and I think we'll find that to be true In this passage. But before we jump into it, I want to give a little bit of background about James and specifically what James has to say about our words, about the the speech that we have towards others. It's a common theme found in his book. In chapter 1, verse 26, he says that an untamed tongue is a sign of a deceived heart. And that if we cannot control our speech, that it's out of control, we ought to pause because he says your religion is futile. The very practicing of our faith is empty. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says that we ought to examine our hearts and our speech because we will give an account before a holy God. And in fact, he says our speech reveals what is actually inside of our hearts. I don't know if you've heard a politician recently or an athlete or somebody famous out there who makes a blunder. Okay, they call it a blunder. Maybe it is um, they're caught on a hot mic tearing down constituents, and then they have to go on and do a public mea culpa and try to save face. Or maybe it's an athlete who, you know, did something, you know, uh, 
contaminated their team with the coronavirus, and now they have to sit out, and they get up and do an apology, or whatever it is. And often you'll hear a phrase, something like, that isn't really me, right? Or I don't know where that came from. That's not who I am. But James actually says, especially there in in chapter 2, he says, actually, the opposite is true. When we speak and when we lash out to others, we're actually revealing something that is deep inside of our hearts. And so James says it reveals who we are. Later in chapter 3, he uses a a big chunk, verses 1 through 12, to show how destructive our speech can be. As I mentioned, it's a spark that can burn down a whole forest. And unlike a horse that can be controlled by a little piece of metal, or a ship, a massive ship that can be steered by a little rudder, we often fail to control our tongues and to the destruction of others and ourselves. And so James has a lot to say about a tongue and how we control it. And back in September, on my first visit here, on that blistering 111 temperature day, um, I brought a message from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And we looked at the fact that fighting and strife can take hold among believers. And that's often expressed in how we talk to each other. That these evil desires that are in us, that well up in us, lead to conflict, and especially through our speech. And the cure to this, and really much of what James talks about in the book of James, is found in verse 6 of chapter 4. It says, but he, God, gives grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before God. And in many ways, flowing out of that call to humility, James comes to our passage today, which is found in verses 11 and 12. Remember those verbal lashings we talked about that we've received from a loved one, from a coworker, or a friend, or maybe that we've dished out? Here's what James has to say about that kind of speech in verse 11. It says this, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And the first point I'd like us to see in this passage is that we cannot tolerate hurtful speech. We cannot, we must not tolerate hurtful speech. And the approach I often take in in studying passages, either on my own or for a lesson or a sermon, is to read through it a number of times, and before I jump into commentaries and put my outline together and things, just jot down a bunch of questions that pop into my mind. And it's it's a good practice. Um, I'd encourage you, as you're reading your Bible, have a pad of paper and write down questions. And so, as we get to these key points, um, I'd like to ask these questions. You know, in some ways, this passage is pretty straightforward. It's two short verses, and we could summarize it down to these points. Don't speak bad about people, and don't judge people. Okay, it's pretty simple. Don't speak out against people, don't judge people. But I think as we ask some of these questions, it'll help us to understand exactly what James means by our speech and judging others and what we can learn from it. So the first question I'd like to ask under this point about hurtful speech is that what does he mean when he says, do not speak evil of one another? On the surface, basically, you know, we could, we could pull up probably a preschooler here and say, you know, what does mommy and daddy say about how you talk? And they say, be nice, be kind to others. Um, But to properly understand what James is saying here, it's helpful to understand the term that he uses in this way. And so um, some translations, uh, instead of speak evil, 
uh, they will have the word slander here. And so slander is a very specific, kind of a narrow use of negative speech. Um, But the term that James uses is used very broadly in Scripture for a number of different types of speaking evil. And so I think it's helpful just to see it broadly as any kind of speech that is designed to tear others down, that is designed to be destructive against others. Sometimes, as I mentioned in the intro, it is making up things, right? We're twisting details or making up facts about people to damage them. Sometimes, as we found, it is not necessarily spreading false things, but it's, it's sharing things that are exactly true, but not in a way to help others. And you've probably seen this, maybe a situation like this where you have a little girl who walks up to somebody in public who's quite large and points her finger up to him and says, you are fat, right? And the mom, you know, in shame, red-faced, pulls the girl aside and says, you can't say that. You can't talk to people like that. And the little girl retorts something like, well, it's true, right? And he probably knows it. Mom probably knows it. The little girl knows it for sure. But we tell her, no, you can't say things like that, right? That's hurtful. That's harmful. So what she was saying might factually be true, but the point is it's not done in a helpful way. And how many times in our speech are we like that little girl, right? We're sharing things. It's true. It really happened. She really said that. He really did that. But it's not in a way to help others. In fact, it's to tear others down. And so James says we cannot, we must not speak in this harmful way. I'd like to look at a couple passages in Scripture that give categories for this evil speech. First of all, outside of James, Psalm 101.5 says this about slandering someone in secret. It says, Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. And so the psalmist is saying here that if we are slandering others behind their backs, we are filling in some details about that person that somebody else doesn't know and has no business knowing, that we ought to examine our hearts. It says that God will put to silence. There is judgment that is stated against those who do that. On the, on the contrary, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.8, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Believers, we must not slander others in this way to go behind others' backs, to fill in information just for the destruction of others. We cannot tolerate this harmful speech. And another category that we see in 1 Peter 3 is bringing false accusations against someone. So making up things that are not true just for the destruction of others. Peter says keeping a clear conscience, this is for believers, so that those who speak maliciously against your behavior, those outside, may be ashamed of their slander. And so people were making up false things about these Christians, maybe about the way they practiced, about the way they talked, about what they did, just to uh, malign them and to slander them. And Peter says, we ought not do that. We ought not take the example of the world in that way. Instead, we ought to um, honor others in our speech and not malign others. And so we see very clearly here that James says, we must not tear others down. We must not speak evil of others. In fact, Paul in Romans 1, chapter 30, and a list of those who will be under God's judgment, those who remain in their sins, he includes the category of the slanderer. Those who speak against others and malign others will be condemned for their sins. In the book of James, I mentioned a little bit in the intro, um, James talks about this harmful speech, this fighting among uh, believers. 
In verse 11, we don't have a lot of detail about how they were doing this or what it looked like, but elsewhere in James, he gives some examples. In James 3 and 4, he talks about it this way. He says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For where you have this envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practices. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And so James warns against this kind of damaging speech that can happen among believers. That inside the household of faith, those who should be building others up, those who should be loving each other and praying for each other, this kind of harmful speech can tear others down. Maybe you have been a part of a church in which you've witnessed this. You've seen East Baptist Church warring against West Baptist Church over here, and never the twain shall meet. And you see lies and accusations and tearing down that just destroys the church. Not only inside, especially for young people who are seeing this, and they're saying, this is what believers look like, this is what they do, but also those outside the church, those who should see truth and love and peace and harmony inside the body of faith. Maybe you've been a part of a church that way, or you've heard of that. And we would be naive to think that something like that could not happen here at LifePoint. That bitterness could not well up inside of us, and we could have conflict and dissension in that way. And so men and women, we cannot, we must not tolerate this kind of destructive speech that tears others down. When we are tempted to lash out at somebody and to sprinkle in some true facts that are going to put someone else against another person. We must resist that. We must resist tearing others down in this way. And so James calls on us to stop this, to stop fighting among ourselves. And he goes on to say in the second half of verse 11, a reason why we must say no to this harmful speech. You see, our harmful words don't just affect those around us, believers within the church, our friends, our coworkers. Our, our harmful speech is a affront against God. And so our first point is we cannot tolerate hurtful speech because, number two, hurtful speech is arrogant defiance against God. Let's read uh, the second half of verse 11. It says, He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So James, uh, James here repeats the phrase, speaks evil of a brother. Okay, do you see that? But he adds another phrase and judges his brother. And so in a parallel sense, he's saying that speaking evil or against somebody is in a similar way judging a brother. So what does James mean when he says judging a brother? What does that actually look like? And how can we look out for it? Well, again, it's helpful to understand the word that he uses and how it's used in Scripture and in context. And so the, the term that he used for judge, just like many of our English words, can be used in very different ways. So I was curious to see uh, the term in the English dictionary that's used the most times. In other words, it has the most uses. And so the latest Oxford dictionary has the, the verb run, just in the verb form, they say, has 645 different uses. Okay, so imagine you're coming in as a non-native English speaker, <laughs> and you're trying to learn, to learn the nuances of how some of our words work. Um, we have many other examples like that. I think the word set can be used about 350 different ways. Okay? And so we understand that words have different meanings based on their context and based on how they're used. And so in a similar way, it's true about this word judge. 
And then the New Testament context, I think there's at least two primary uses we should consider and to find out, is this the way that James is using the term judge? The first one is a term that's used to define discernment. Okay? It could also be translated to approve of something or to distinguish or to consider something. And when used this way, Scripture actually uh, uh, praises or holds up this, this use of judge, to be discerning, to consider something. Proverbs is full of wisdom about discernment and carefully considering others' choices. I'd like to look at three passages in the New Testament briefly. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll just summarize how uh, this, holding, this idea of discernment and discerning between things is a good thing. 1 Corinthians 5 Paul is talking about sin that's within the church. And if you remember this context, there was a, a professing believer within the assembly that had open and, and immoral sin that was going on. And the Corinthians, instead of dealing with it and confronting him, and if he refused removing him, they just kind of let it go on. They let it fester, which was leading to problems within the church, but also outside. Other believers saw these Corinthians who said they were following Jesus and they looked at what he did, his immorality, and they said, we don't even do that stuff. That's disgusting. That's gross. And so Paul says this. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, okay, unbelievers? And the implied answer is, it's not my business. Are you not to judge those inside, believers? The implied answer is yes. God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And so clearly Paul is speaking to the church here, to the assembly, and he's saying there's a degree of judging, of discerning, of understanding the sin and why it's a problem, and they needed to deal with it. They needed to confront him. And if he wouldn't, they needed to remove him from the assembly. Pastor Kitt's been going through Second Peter. We've heard a lot about false teaching and false prophets. In a, in a similar passage in John, in 1 John, John says this, 1 John 4.1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so John here and in Peter and Second Peter is saying we must discern the things that we're hearing or the things that we're reading, the stuff that we're looking at online. Does it match up with Scripture? And so in that way, they are saying we, must, we need to judge. We need to be discerning in that way to understand the truth and reject error. A final one, uh, if you could flip to James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, we see within the book of James, the very end of the book, he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so he's describing here a professing brother or sister of Christ, somebody who is within your assembly and says they have testified by faith, and yet they've wandered away. I've seen them in church in a few months. And, and these days, that's really hard to stay in touch and to find out how people are doing. But as you bring up spiritual conversation and topics, there's a coldness that's there. And you find out other things in their lives that, that seem to be completely opposite of somebody who claims to be Christ. And yet James says, if we call that brother and sister back, and, and if they come back into the assembly and they're following God, we have done a great thing. We have shown love to them. We have turned them back to Christ. But that takes a degree of discernment, right? To see what their life is like and how we can call them back. I don't know if you've had a difficult conversation like that where you're sitting across from a friend or a loved one and, and you see what they say and what they profess and then you look at their life and all of the signs of fruit are missing and your heart is concerned and you're burdened for them. Maybe it's a loved, a loved one, maybe it's a child or a parent 
and your heart breaks for them and you call them back, okay, that is not an easy thing. And we need to use discernment and knowing how to step forward in that way. So I think we can say with, with a degree of certainty that James here is not saying in our speech that we ought not to judge with discernment or understanding the facts. Okay, so not that type of judging. Well, what is the judgment that he is speaking against here? And I think the second category is more on the mark. And that is the idea of sitting in judgment against someone else. Sitting in judgment. Also, it could be translated to judge or condemn or punish. And so this, this refers to assuming the right to judge someone and pronounce a conclusion on them, especially in a critical way. Okay? So you are looking, or the person judging in this way, is looking for reasons to tear somebody down, to show how great you are and how much you have arrived and how much they are below you. It's a critical way of tearing others down. If I were to ask you, and I know Sunday night's more interactive here, but just to check and see if you're awake here, uh, what passage in the New Testament about judging first pops into your mind? Maybe it's a phrase or you remember the actual reference. I've seen a few lips. All right, yeah, judge not that you be not judged. And in fact, in our broader culture, uh, people still know a few Bible verses, and it seems like this is one that people latch onto, right? Anytime a Christian says, you shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't talk this way, or live that way, judge not, right? It's like the blanket, you have nothing to say to me because you're not supposed to judge. Well, in the context, Jesus here is dealing with a judgmental attitude. And in fact, if you remember the passage in Matthew, it's like you have this telephone pole sticking out of your head, <laughs> and you're taking your finger and you're trying to flick a little piece of dust out of your neighbor's eye. Right? You're literally just like knocking them with your pole and you're worried about this little, little tiny thing that is wrong with them. And Jesus calls them out. He says we ought not to have this judgmental attitude, to think that we've arrived, to think that we can speak in an area of authority against somebody else in this critical way. Paul says a similar thing in Romans chapter 2. If you remember in Romans, in chapter 1, it lays out those who are depraved and have have no thought or concern for God, who walk in their wickedness, and God hands them over in their destruction. But then, in chapter 2, he turns the tables a little bit to those who are professing, uh, or those who are of the historic faith, those who are Jews, and he calls them out and he says this. He says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, every one of you who passes judgment. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And so he was calling out those who were looking down in a condescending way. Oh, those Gentiles. They have no regard for God. They don't know the law. They don't know how to do sacrifices. They don't know how to, to be a true Israelite like we do. And Paul's ripping the hypocrisy away. And he's saying, don't you see your own sin? Don't you see your own, your own faults before God? And so I think we can see that James is using this second use of judge here. He's saying that we must not speak evil and speak in a judgmental, critical, condescending way against others, especially against other believers. And so we would do well to heed James' warning here in our speech. And you know, there are certain, certain sins or certain weaknesses that might plague us and plague us in different stages of our growth as a Christian. I think this idea of speaking in a judgmental way or in a critical or a harsh way is one that those who have been in the faith for a long time are particularly prone to. Um, and speaking of somebody who fest faith as a young child, the more that we grow, the more knowledge of Scripture that we have, 
the more that we understand how things work in the church or theologically, the greater the temptation to look down upon others and to criticize others. And maybe some of you have come to faith as an adult. And, and in those, especially in that infancy stage, you're like, man, I see all the problems in my heart. I don't know anything. I just need help, right? And so we can look a little gracious with others. But those of us, especially who have walked with Christ for a long time, we need to guard our hearts and guard our speech that we are not speaking in a condescending or in a critical way against others. Instead of a heart of discernment and love to call others back, we must guard our hearts that we are not critical and tearing others down. But one more question before we move on to verse 12, and that is this. I don't know if as we're talking you've wondered this. This was the question I had as I was reading through, and that is, how can I know if I'm speaking in a judgmental way, right? And we said there's, there's positive examples of speaking truth to other believers, calling them to obey, calling them to line themselves up with Scripture. How can we know if we've crossed that line of, of, of discernment and speaking truth to them and we've moved over into being in a judgmental and a hypocritical way? And I don't know if you've had this experience, but at times where I started out, I think I could, I could say with a clear conscience and a way of loving and approaching somebody, and all of a sudden as I'm going, it's shifted over here, right? And my pride wells up and my frustration and my anger, and all of a sudden now I'm speaking in a condescending way. Well, I'd like to just point out three things that, that could help us to understand if we've moved from a loving, discerning speech to a judgmental. And the first is that God alone has the right to judge. We're going to look at this in just a minute. But God alone knows the heart. As much as we feel like we can understand our spouse, or as much as we think we understand human behavior, God alone sees the heart. And so we must be very careful when we make implications and when we make statements like, oh, I know what's going on in your head, or I know why you did this. God alone knows the motives. And so we ought to consider the motives carefully and let God be judge. The second is that God at times gives us the responsibility or the opportunity to judge others, again, in that discerning, loving way, but it must be done according to his rules. And isn't it natural that anytime we're given authority, we can kind of latch onto it and we can twist it in our own way, right? It's like you give, you give a child a little bit of freedom, a little bit of privilege, and now they feel like they own the place. They feel like they got it all under control. And in a similar way, even if, as we have a burden and, and want to move towards somebody in love, we need to be careful that we are doing so in a way that is according to God's standards and his rules and not according to what we would want to do. We read 1 Corinthians 5 and it talked about discipline removing a believer. That is not something that is done just whimsically or uh, however somebody wants to do it. There is clear guidelines in Scripture about how that ought to be done. And in the same way, our speech towards others must follow God's word. We must rely on his word for wisdom and not just our own opinions. And then third, we talked about humility in James. We ought to realize that often we will judge inappropriately. And we need to be aware of that. Because of our sinful hearts, as I mentioned, we could start out with the right motives, wanting to confront somebody and challenge them, but we can easily lead to wrong conclusions. And so we must guard ourselves in that way. So hopefully that can help us to determine, am I doing this? Am I speaking to that person in a way that's loving and kind, even if I'm calling them out on their life choices? That God alone has the right to judge. At times, he gives us the opportunity or responsibility to challenge and confront somebody, but we must do it humbly because of our hearts. 
So James takes that, that we ought not to speak evil. We cannot judge in a critical way towards others and condescending. But he adds a little nuance here um, that's interesting. In the, in the second half of verse 11, he says this, he who speaks evil of the law and judges the law. And so again, the question that might pop in our mind, okay, James, you're talking about speech, you're talking about not being critical. Why do you bring the law into this? Why is he saying, if I speak evil of my wife, or if I tear down my child or a friend or a believer, I'm speaking evil of the law and I'm judging the law? What is the connection between my speaking and the law? Well, first of all, as I mentioned, James is speaking to a Jewish audience, okay? So they understand the law. They understand God's revelation. But I think it's best for us to see that James here, as he's addressing New Testament believers, he's using the law as anything in the law of the Old Testament that Jesus gave his followers. And often we refer to it as the law of Christ or the royal law of liberty. It's used also in Scripture. And here's why I say that. I'd like to look at two passages, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. And it'll set us up for the turn that James makes towards judging. The first one, if you turn there with me, to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. So we're going to turn to the law, the Old Testament law. And here Moses is giving a number of different commands that God has revealed to him. And specifically, commands that relate to the moral law. And so he says in this in Leviticus chapter 19. Many have seen a parallel between Moses writing here in Leviticus 19 and James. And hopefully you'll see it. Hopefully you'll see some key words that pop out. Here's what it says starting in, uh, what did I say? Starting in verse 15. And I am in Exodus, so let me get over to Leviticus. All right, Leviticus 19. It says this, You shall do no injustice in judgment. Okay, we've heard that word in James. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so Moses here is giving commands, moral commands to Israel about how they ought to deal with one another and specifically with their neighbor. So he says you should not commit injustice by judging your neighbor. Okay, that's the wrong kind of judging. But he says twice in our passage that you ought to judge your neighbor. There is a right kind of judging or discerning and even, Moses even says rebuking your neighbor, but in righteousness. So there's a wrong kind of judging, there's a right kind of judging and rebuking. But this rebuke or judge, judging must be done in love. What is for their best interest, not in a vindictive way. And so we can conclude here that Moses is laying out to Israel, there's a proper way of judging and discerning, and then there's an evil way that is looking to harm others. And we must choose the loving way. So the key is to do it in love, to love your neighbor as yourself. One other passage uh, in which we see this echoed in the New Testament, and that is Matthew chapter 22. Okay, we'll look at Matthew, and then we'll stay in James the rest of our, our time here. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. So the context here is the Sadducees were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him in a gotcha moment, okay? 
This would be like in our day, somebody rushing up to, again, a politician or some famous person and trying to get a gotcha question that'll go viral, right? That'll spread on Twitter and everybody will talk about for the next day, okay? The Sadducees were asking about the resurrection and Jesus kind of shot down their attempt and redirected. And then the, the Pharisees, the other religious leaders, tried to get him in another gotcha moment, okay? This Pharisee who knew the law, says one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, verse 36 of, of Matthew 22, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Okay, and you can kind of see them back here, okay, in a circle. And they're like, oh yeah, let's see what he's going to say. Let's see how we can get him and stumble him. And here's what Jesus says, echoing Leviticus 19. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay? And they shut down their smartphones. They put Twitter away. And they're like, yep, you got us. No gotcha moment there. Okay? And really what Jesus is saying here is, guys, you don't get it. The whole point of the law of God revealing himself is to show us that we need to love God and we need to love others. Everything in the law, these moral commands that Moses gave, hangs on those two things, to love God and to love your neighbor. And so as we look back to James and we ask, why would he refer to the law? I think this helps us to see that speaking against a brother, against a sister in Christ, against somebody we love, against a friend or a spouse, is actually speaking against, it's judging, it's holding ourselves up against the law that God has given, the law of Christ. And by that we mean we are setting aside the command that God gives to love God above all things and to love our neighbor as ourself. We are saying, I know better than what God has given. I know and and can discern their needs better than what God has given. And we tear others down and we speak and we judge against the law. Because, as Jesus said, the law is summarized as loving others. And so we see that we, when we tear down others' words, we are judging God's word. We are saying that we know better than what God has given. And James says we must not do this. We must not tear others down and judge God's word. We sit in judgment against him. And so, brother, sister in Christ here this morning, have we allowed pride and selfishness to, to, to lead to speech that tears others down? that takes the commands of God to build others up, to use our gifts to serve others. And we've set that aside. and We've taken up our own agenda in our words. We've torn others down and we've done that to the hurt of others. And so, husband or wife, if you're guilty of tearing down your spouse this week with your words, make it right. Confess your sin to God. Humbly come before Him and to your spouse. Maybe a parent who have used harsh words to your child, not correcting in love, but lashing out in vengeance. You blew up at them this week. Make it right. Repent and restore the relationship. You know, there are a few things that are more humbling as a dad to come before my daughters, one or all of them, and say, you know what, girls? Daddy blew it. I was wrong here. I was, I was selfish. I wanted it done my way, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And yet, by coming before them, we are honoring God and restoring the relationship. Maybe it's a son or daughter, and you lipped off at your parents this week, acting like you knew better, showing disrespect to them, 
And by doing that, you set aside all the commands in Scripture about honoring your parents, about obeying them and submitting to them as to God. And so if that's the case, you ought to confess to God, but you also ought to go to your parents and seek for restoration. Maybe, believer, you gossiped about somebody behind their back, either something false or something that was true but was done in a hurtful way. And then we ought to confess that to God, but we also go, ought to go to that person. Maybe it's a group of people at work in which you were spreading things behind someone's back. You ought to go and say, I'm sorry for that. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Because James says when we tear into others, when we speak evil against others, we are speaking evil to God and to His Word. And so we must check our speech in this way. There's a phrase there uh, in, in verse 11 that also says, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but instead you are a judge. And if you know in James, he's very much all about the fact that it's not enough just to hear God's Word. It's not enough for you just to memorize the facts and to know the information. The whole crux of our Christian walk and showing our faith is if we do God's Word. And James says, if we arrogantly stand in, in a condescending way towards others in our speech and our actions, we are not doing the law. We are not practicing the love of Christ. Instead, we are setting up our own law. We are setting up our own standard. And so we must humbly come before God and do His Word. In James chapter 1, he picked up on this idea of not just hearing the Word, but doing it. And, and he pictured it like a mirror. Okay, so imagine this morning... Maybe you had your coffee and your, your cereal or whatever you eat for breakfast. And for the love of your neighbors, you decided to brush your teeth before you came. Okay, that'd be great. Um, the masks help hide some of that. But then again, it's maybe worse because then you're smelling your own breath. I don't know, at the end of the day, if that's hit any of you, if you're somewhere, you're like, man, it's rough. Um, but you're brushing your teeth, okay? And, and you, you go to leave and you look in the mirror and you see this huge glob of toothpaste just sitting right on your cheek. Okay, maybe it's white or green or blue or whatever flavor you use. And you're like, man, I'm in a hurry. I'm just going to go, okay? So you get in your car, look in the rearview mirror, you see that toothpaste sticking right there, and you're just like, whatever, forget it. Then you come here, and you're walking in the doors, and the first person you see gives you this look of like, uh, did you, you know, the toothpaste? And you're like, you just blow it off. And every sign, every indicator that is there to show you you have a problem and you need to fix something, okay, you're rejecting, and you're... You're, you're saying it's, it's useless or not helpful. And so in that way, the mirror was there. It was telling you exactly what you needed to know. The problem was not in the mirror or the person that was talking to you. The problem was you by not responding to what you saw and fixing it. And so in a similar way, James says, when we hold ourselves up above others and speak in a condescending way, we are not responding in a way that honors God. We are not doing, we're not practicing the law of Christ, the teachings of Christ. Instead, we are putting ourselves up before God. And so he said, first, we cannot, we must not tolerate this hurtful speech, speaking evil against others. And that's because this hurtful speech is arrogant. It's defiance against God. But then lastly, we see that this arrogant defiance of God is like sitting in God's seat. It's like placing ourselves as the judge. I'll read verse 12 again. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Some of your translations might read, there is one lawgiver and judge. Okay, so many of the um, helpful manuscripts uh, actually have that phrase and judge. 
And so, really, James is saying here that there's one person who gives the law, who, get, who sets the standard. And there's one in the same who is the judge and executor of those who do not keep God's teaching. And that is God. And so he ends with a pointed question. Who are you to judge another? He's trying to put us in our place and to see our standing and how we really stand before God. Who are you to speak in a condescending, judgmental way towards God? And when we do that, it's like we're putting ourselves in God's place. I don't know if you watched many TV shows or movies uh, based on a courtroom scene. Um, there's some you know, famous ones. There's a black and white one way years ago, 12 Angry Men, okay, if you've seen that one, where they're the jury and they're going back and forth. And I find some of that fascinating, the courtroom drama and the procedures and trying to sway the jury and all that. Um, but there's a specific uh, standard that's set in place of honor or of respect for the judge. Okay? He sits up behind the bench, which is usually a raised platform. He's elevated. He has you know, decorative robes on or she. And there's one or two guys sitting right up front, standing right up front here the whole time who are making sure that you show respect to this judge and you keep order, right? And if you do something against them or you cause a scene, they're going to remove you from that court. Well, often an attorney will want to speak privately or share information with the judge that he doesn't want everyone to hear, especially the jury, and he will ask a question. He will say, may I have permission to, what does he say? Approach the bench, right? And that's a standard legal practice. He must ask permission of this judge to come, and the judge will either say, yes, you may approach the bench, we'll have a little conversation, or he'll say no and he'll refuse. When we stand in judgment against others, and we act like we are the judge, we act like we are the final authority, and therefore we can act out however we want. It is like us running up around the judge's bench, hopping in his seat, pushing him aside, maybe even taking his robe on and putting it on, grabbing the gavel in our own hands, and making ourselves judge, jury, and executor. It's taking on a role that we could never deserve and that we should never take we are taking the place of God and sitting in the place that only God can sit in. One commentator uh, summarized the final phrase this way, the phrase, but you, who are you to judge? It's with shattering bluntness, James crushes any right his reader has or make claim to sit in judgment over their neighbors. Brothers and sisters, we are forgiven by Christ. We sang praises that Jesus is our friend, but it's only because of what Christ has done for us. How dare we sit in judgment against another believer in Christ in that critical, condescending way and lashing out against them in our words. Instead, we ought to see ourselves as forgiven by Christ, by his mercy, and by his grace. In any type of speech confronting someone or challenging them or speaking about something in their life ought to be done in that same humility and mercy that we've been forgiven by Christ. How dare we stand like God in his perfection and his holiness and cast judgment on others and condemn others by our words in that way. Instead, we ought to respond in humility and grace. And one phrase I'd like to key in on for those of you who are here who might say, um, Pastor Tim, I, you know, I, I think there's some good in the Bible. I think Jesus had some good things, but I'm not sure I buy into following Christ or giving him my life. James says this. <clears throat> he says there's one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and to destroy. You see, this God who is judge is holy. He is perfect. He cannot allow sin or rebellion in his presence. And one day, he will judge finally. 
And if we stand on our own, if we stand in our own merits thinking we're good enough, we will be destroyed. We have no standing before God based on our righteousness, based on anything good that we have done. Our only hope before God is what Jesus has done on our behalf. You see, he has taken the penalty that we deserve from this judge, and he has taken it on himself. Not because he deserved it, but because he loved us, and he wants us to be his child. And so if you are here this morning, or you're viewing, and you have not repented and turned to Christ, know that there is a holy judge that will stand in execution of his judgment. But there's also hope in Christ, that we can have a friend in Christ. We have, can have an advocate who has taken our place through his death and his resurrection. And for the believers who are here, as we've talked about speech, uh, maybe a conversation has been recalled in the last few days or the past week that you gave to somebody else, or maybe it was somebody speaking against you. And I hope that we've checked our hearts and we've examined this truth from James and how he calls us to not speak in a judgmental way, in a destructive way to tear others down. But instead, our speech ought to be in grace and love. And when we feel compelled out of love for someone to confront them over their sin and to call them to change and to pray for them and to help them and to guide them, it must never be as if we're the ultimate judge, casting out an execution on them. Instead, we graciously and humbly call them to obey Christ, just like we are trying to do. And so that ought to mark our speech and that ought to mark our lives. And so let's let God be the judge. Let's let him execute his judgment and let's minister to one another in grace, submitting to his will. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth that is found in your word. I thank you so much that it speaks directly to our lives. James calls us out where we live and what we wrestle with each day and how we use our words to build others up or to tear others down, to, to judge them in this, in this harsh and critical way or to, to lovingly confront and to sprinkle our speech with grace to call others back to you. I ask, God, that you would challenge us and convict us of any sin in our hearts and in our speech, any way that we have held ourselves up in front of others as if we're better than them, and that we will humbly confess that. May we be a confessing, humble people to go to others and, and admit our faults and ask for a restoration. Maybe today there is a relationship that has been frayed by, by false or by true words that were done in harm. God, please restore that. Please give peace and harmony to that relationship in the home or a friendship or a marriage relationship. May you humbly bring us to a place where we have a right standing with you and, and a right standing with one another. Thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.